Zechariah chapter 4. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me, like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? I said, I see, and behold, a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive, olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shafts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of his house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice, and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And the second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes, from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. This is the Lord of the Lord. Thank you, Grace and Bethany, for reading for us, and uh, wonderful to see you at church, uh, especially if you're joining us for the first time, and uh, I see a few new faces among us, uh, it's really good to have you uh, with us this morning. Um, also good to see a few old friends uh, joining us as well, so uh, lovely that we can gather around God's Word. Uh, how about I lead us in prayer, uh, and then uh, we'll get stuck into this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are a God who does not leave us in the darkness, but that you speak to us, that you reveal yourself to us, and you show us uh, who you are, and uh, you show us your ways. And so, Father, we pray that this morning you would help us to listen carefully to the things that you say in your word, and we ask, Father, that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, that we might be changed by it and comforted and encouraged and built up uh, to keep on serving our Lord Jesus faithfully. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, have you ever felt discouraged because of the slow progress of something important in your life? Have you ever felt discouraged uh, because of the slow progress of something important in your life? Um, some of you know that in the city of Barcelona, 
there is a big uh, cathedral called the Sagrada Familia. Uh, it's a very unusual sort of gothic style cathedral, and uh, millions of people visit Barcelona uh, to uh, see this extraordinary site. Who, who's actually been there and, and seen it? Well, quite, quite a few of us. Um, I went there um, many, many years ago as a backpacker, and uh, I, I went inside, and it's an extraordinary structure. But the thing about this cathedral is that even after 140 years of construction, it still hasn't been completed. Uh, construction began in 1882. Uh, shortly afterwards, uh, a famous architect called Gaudi took over the project. But uh, ever since that time, there has been setback after setback. Uh, in 1926, Gaudi tragically died when he was hit by a tram. Uh, in 1936, there was the Spanish Civil War, and a part of the cathedral was set on fire. Uh, as you know, for the past few years, we've had the, the COVID pandemic, and so construction ceased for a while. And so the cathedral itself is not due for completion until at least 2026. Uh, how discouraging it must be be for those who are involved in the project. Uh, well, we've been looking at the book of Zechariah for the past few months. Uh, you might remember that uh, in the first half of this book, uh, what we see are eight night visions that the prophet Zechariah is given by God. And uh, today we come to the, the fourth night vision. Um, not the fourth, the fifth, isn't it? The fifth night vision. Uh, and you can see there in verses 6 and 7 and 10 of chapter 4, uh, and as we have just seen in our kids' spot, that this vision centers around a person called Zerubbabel. Uh, who was Zerubbabel? Well, um, I, I feel like um, the kids' spot has kind of stolen my thunder a bit, so this is a bit of a, a revision, revision exercise. But uh, he was the one, he was one of the leaders uh, who led some of the Jews back from exile uh, in the land of Babylon uh, to back to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, but the thing about Zerubbabel uh, is that he was also a builder. For we know that Zerubbabel was one of the people who began to work on the temple that was previously destroyed by the Babylonians. However, if you know the story, just like the Sagrada Familia, Zerubbabel and the people of God faced setback after setback after setback in building the temple, such that by the time Zechariah comes along, well, the temple work stalled for about 20 years. And so this part of Zechariah is really addressed to people like Zerubbabel and the people of God who were discouraged by the slow progress of the building of the temple. But it's not just about you know, the slow progress of the building of the physical structure. But you will know that the temple in Jerusalem was the place where God had promised to dwell with his people. The place where God had promised to build his, his kingdom. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you ever felt discouraged 
progress of the building of God's kingdom in this world and in your life? Have you felt discouraged that your loved ones are not coming to Jesus? Have you ever felt discouraged that the slow progress of godliness in your life, have you ever felt discouraged that Christianity looks so small and weak compared to the secular forces and secular voices around us? If so, then I want to say that God has some very important things to say to people like you and me in this part of his word this morning. Well, uh, if you have a look at our passage then, uh, you can see there that the vision Zacharias sees from God begins with a, a vision about a lampstand. And uh, uh, if you have a look there, you can see that we're given five uh, very important details about this lampstand. And so firstly, uh, you can see in verse 2 that you know, this isn't just any ordinary lampstand. But it's actually a lampstand that is made from pure gold. Secondly, you can see that there is a bowl on top of the lampstand. Thirdly, you can see that the lampstand has seven uh, individual lamps on top of it, presumably with a, with a, a flame uh, on, on top of each one. Fourthly, you can see that there are seven lips, or um, I think by the word lips, uh, it's meant to... Um, indicate some sort of channel that leads to each of the, uh, the lamps uh, to uh, uh, fuel uh, the burning of the fire. And finally, in verse 3, you can see that Zacharias sees two olive trees, uh, one on either side of the lampstand. Now, when you see this lampstand, what do you think about? I'll give you a moment just to turn to your neighbor and uh, Discuss with your neighbor. What do you think about when you see this lampstand? Uh, a few, few moments just to talk about that with your neighbor. Okay, that's enough time. <laughs> Let's come back together. Um, who wants to volunteer an answer? And uh, I, I, I realize some of you have studied this passage in your growth group, so if you're going to give me you know, the, all the right answers now, uh, don't, don't bother. But uh, if, uh, does anyone want to? Kind of mention one thing that comes to mind when uh, you you see this lampstand uh, in Zechariah four. <laughs> I kind of scared everyone from answering the question. Um, anyone? Uh, what? The temple. Thank you. Um, uh, Andrew is a, a great group leader. He, he knows all the answers. Some of you know that uh, the golden lampstand was actually a piece of furniture, uh, firstly in the tabernacle or the tent that God had instructed his people to make uh, way back in the Exodus, uh, and later on in, in the temple that was built. Um, if you were there, uh, if, if you were here with us a few years ago, uh, you might remember that uh, we studied this in the book of Exodus where um, God tells the people to um, manufacture uh, some items of furniture and to put it inside that tent. Uh, the, the golden lampstand, uh, which was a very elaborate thing, uh, was one of those things. But apart from that, it's a little bit hard to figure out 
what this vision is all about, isn't it? I mean, there's some sort of reference to the temple, but it's a bit hard to figure out exactly what this is all about. And so uh, we might sympathize with Zechariah, who asks the angel in verse 4, uh, What are these, my Lord? To which he gets the answer in verse 5, Don't you know what these are? Seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? It almost sounds as though you know the angel is saying, "You idiot! Uh, you should know what this is all about." But uh, Zechariah clearly has no clue, and in God's kindness, uh, He reveals to Zechariah uh, what it's all about. Uh, you can see there that the way God reveals to Zechariah what this vision is all about is through um, two. Explanations or words from God uh, that you see from verse 6 onwards. Uh, now, the first word from God uh, is given to the prophet Zechariah, but it's actually a word that is addressed directly to Zerubbabel. Uh, what is this word of God to Zerubbabel? Well, uh, have a look with me at verse 6. Verse 6, God says to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, Zerubbabel will accomplish something not by his own human strength or, or human ability or cleverness, but he will achieve it by the enabling of God's powerful spirit. What is the thing that Zerubbabel will accomplish? Well, in the next few verses, it's clear that he will accomplish the completion of the temple. Uh, in verse 7, God says that he will flatten out a great mountain before Zerubbabel. Uh, I think the mountain here is meant to symbolize um, you know, all the great challenges that Zerubbabel was facing in the building of the temple, uh, including, as we saw in the kids' spot, severe opposition from his enemies. But what God is saying here is he's going to put a steamroller to that mountain, that opposition, so that he won't be an obstacle anymore. Further, uh, towards the end of verse 7, uh, Zerubbabel is told that he will bring forward a top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Uh, I'm not a builder, but uh, I'm told that the top stone, or uh, it's sometimes called the capstone, it is the final stone that is laid on top of the building uh, to finish it off. And so the picture we get here is of the riverbell laying that final stone on the temple. And the people partying and asking God to bless this temple because it is finally finished. Uh, it's like, you know, when an important building gets built these days, you have um, all the construction workers standing around and, in, and an important dignitary coming to, you know, cut the, cut the tape. Uh, it's, it's that kind of picture that we, that we get here. But friends, notice that in what follows, Zechariah is given another word from God, and this time it's addressed not to Zerubbabel, but to the, the people of God themselves. 
And what does God want to say to his people? Well, you can see there in verse 9 that God says a very similar thing to what we've already seen. For he says that Zerubbabel will complete the building of the temple. However, uh, here's the thing. Can you see in verse 10 that God says to his people that when the temple is finally finished, uh, those who had despised the day of small things, notice that phrase in verse 10, those who had despised the day of small things will rejoice. Who were the ones who would have despised the day of small things? Well, um, turn with me to Ezra chapter 3. We're going to do a little bit of Bible speaking this morning. Um, so come with me to Ezra chapter 3, which is sort of to the left. And you need to go a fair way um, to the left of, of Zechariah. Uh, Ezra 3 is a bit like rewinding the DVD so that you can see what happened before the time of God, Zechariah himself. Uh, in fact, uh, Ezra 3 tells us about what happened about 20 years uh, before the time of Zechariah. And uh, you can see there in verse 10, uh, Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, that it was a time when the temple of, of Jerusalem, which had been previously destroyed by the Babylonians, uh, was starting to be rebuilt and the foundations laid anew. Uh, but here's the thing, uh, have a look at verse 11. Uh, at the reaction of the people of God when they see the foundations being laid. I'm going to read from verse 11, so uh, uh, please pay attention with me. Verse 11. Uh, and they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. But many shouted aloud with joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of the people weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. You see what's happening here? Uh, the younger generation are shouting with joy and jubilation because they see the temple of God finally being rebuilt. But the older generation, uh, those who had seen the glory of the first temple, the one that Solomon built, are weeping. Because in comparison to that first temple, the foundations of this new temple seem, well, so small, so insignificant, so pathetic. In fact, in Haggai chapter 2, verse 3, God speaks to these old men and he says, uh, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? How can God be at work when his new temple is so much smaller and insignificant and as nothing compared to the first temple, which was a glorious one? You know, friends, we still live in the day of small things, 
Christians, as we've been reminded, now no longer build a physical temple, but we are given the task by God to build the spiritual temple of God, which is the church. For Jesus himself says to his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations so that his church will be built. But have you ever felt discouraged that the progress of the kingdom of God seems so small at times, so insignificant, so slow, and as nothing in our world, in our church, in our lives. I'm always very affected by the stories of missionaries who have given up uh, their entire lives to go and reach unreached people in this world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it sometimes brings a tear to my eye thinking about those who have laboured in this way for so long with very little visible results. Uh, you might have heard the name Jim Elliott. Uh, he was a, an American missionary who gave up the comforts of this world uh, to go to a jungle in Ecuador to take the gospel to the Indians of that place. Uh, he was speared to death even before he saw a single convert. Uh, he's well known as the one uh, who said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Uh, you might have heard the name William Borden. Uh, he was a missionary who came from a millionaire family and graduated from an Ivy League university in America. Uh, he decided to give up his life in order to proclaim Christ among the Uyghur Muslims uh, in China. But even before he reached the, the destination, he contracted cerebral meningitis while studying Arabic so that he could speak to these people. And he died tragically in Egypt at the tender age of 25. On his tombstone, there are the words, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. You might have heard the name uh, Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary and Bible translator who labored for 12 long and hard years in the nation of Burma. During that time, he not only faced severe opposition from those in power, but he lost two wives and three children whilst on the mission field. After 12 years of gut-wrenching labor, he only saw a handful of converts. But you don't need me to tell you about these people, because my guess is that if you are a genuine believer, you will know just how small and slow and insignificant and as nothing, the kingdom of God can sometimes seem. Uh, perhaps you've been praying for a non-Christian family member or friend to come to know Christ for many years. But year after year, nothing seems to be happening. And in fact, many of them seem even further away from Jesus than what they first were. And you feel discouraged. And perhaps you see Christian people around you uh, making foolish decisions and 
seemingly so slow in their progress in the faith. Or perhaps you're frustrated at the slow progress of your own faith as you continue to fall to the same sin over and over again and you become discouraged. Perhaps you come to church and all you see is a bunch of ordinary people with the same old struggles that everyone struggles with in this world. And you hear very ordinary sermons sometimes and you don't feel too inspired but you just feel discouraged. You see, we still do the day small things, don't we? But I want you to see, friends, that just like the people of Zachariah's time, in Christ, we have this same great promise that one day the temple of his church will be complete and it will be glorious. Do you believe that? Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. One day, it will be complete. One day, it will be glorious. One day, what seems so small and insignificant and slow will be unimaginably wonderful. In verse 10, those who have despised the day of small things will one day rejoice. They will seize the river that are holding a plumb line, which is an image of completion. And so do not be discouraged, says God. Keep building, says God to his people. And to us, who are given the role of participating, who are given the role of participating in the building up of his kingdom. And so, friends, uh, what is this golden lampstand all about? Well, the golden lampstand here, I think, is a picture of the completed temple of God. Now, that's why at the end of verse 10, the angel says to Zechariah, These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. In other words, the lamps on top of the golden lampstand are symbolic of God's presence with his people, which can only happen once the the temple itself is completed, you see. But what about the olive trees? Do you remember the olive trees that were on either side of the, the lampstand? Uh, what is all that about? Uh, well, you can see there in verses 11 and 12 that Zechariah is also a little bit confused, and so he asks the same question. In fact, he asks the, the question twice. And the angel once again says, You idiot! You should know. Yeah, it doesn't actually say that. Uh, he actually says, Do you not, not know what these things are? Which I suppose um, has a similar sentiment. But just like with the lampstand, the angel does tell Zechariah what these two trees are. For he says in verse 14, These are the two anointed ones to stand by the Lord of the whole earth. These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Can you work out what these two olive trees are? 
it seems clear as mud, doesn't it? Well, at the beginning of this week, I thought that the two anointed ones were Joshua and Zerubbabel. Heads up if you also thought that in your growth groups this week. Uh, yeah, many of us. Uh, I think that's the majority of you. Uh, what I've kind of read in commentators about this, uh, that seems to be the, the firmly established majority view. Uh, why did I think that at the beginning of the week? Well, uh, I thought that because uh, in the Old Testament, it was actually the high priests and the kings of Israel who were anointed with oil to set them apart for God's purposes. These were the anointed ones. And so we know that Joshua was the high priest that we know And we know that Zerubbabel was not only the governor, but um, as we will find out in, in, in previous, uh, in, in coming weeks, Zerubbabel was also a descendant of King David. And so it makes sense that these two uh, may be uh, the, the anointed ones that uh, God is speaking about in this vision. However, um, I've come to change my mind on this within the space of a week. Uh, for I now think that the two olive trees represent not Joshua and Zerubbabel, but Zechariah and Haggai, who were, if you remember, the two prophets of God who were speaking to the people uh, during this time, speaking the word of God to the people during this time. Why do I think that now? Well, uh, you can see there in verse 14 that there is a little footnote next to the, the word anointed ones. Now, do you see that in your Bibles? There should be a, a little footnote. What does it say when you go down to the footnote? Shut it out. Two sons of new oil. Yeah. I think that's the more literal translation of what's going on in the original language. It's only about two sons of oil rather than two anointed ones. In other words, uh, I don't think this is talking about two people who themselves are anointed with oil, but two people who are supplying the oil, which in the Old Testament is often a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. That is, what Zechariah is seeing here is that as he and Haggai, the two prophets, speak the word of, of God, the Spirit of God himself will be at work in the people of God so that the temple will be rebuilt and God himself will dwell in the midst of his people. Now, have a think about that amongst yourselves during morning tea. But what I want to say is that what was true in Zachariah's day is also true in our day as well, isn't it? In fact, uh, it's interesting that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1, as, as was read to us, to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit so that the work of building the temple of God the work of, of, of building up the church 
can continue to the ends of the earth. And it is only as the disciples of Jesus proclaim the word of God that God's Spirit encourages those who belong to Jesus to keep on building the temple, and the Spirit of God works in the hearts of unbelievers to bring them to be a part of the temple that God is building. In other words, the kingdom of God grows not as a result of human power or human ability or human cleverness, but as the word of God is proclaimed and as the spirit of God reaches down and works in the lives of believers and draws unbelievers to himself. Of course, this isn't an excuse for you and me to be inactive in the building of God's kingdom. You know, this isn't God saying, uh, as that famous phrase goes, uh, let go and let God, which is often said in a way that excuses us from the work of proclaiming uh, Jesus because, you know, it's all the work of the Spirit. Further, this isn't justification for mediocrity. You know, sometimes Christians can think that what they do doesn't really matter because God's going to do it all. He's, he's just going to use His Spirit and build His kingdom anyway. Now, that's not what God is saying here. For even though God says in the book of Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but might by my Spirit, says the Lord, He actually says it's going to be Zerubbabel who's going to build the temple. Zerubbabel means to put in the, the hard sweat and tears and the hard work of building for it to happen. It is often the case that God works most through those who obey Him and make difficult sacrifices and do the hard work, the blood, sweat, and tears of kingdom building. This is saying, as an encouragement, that as ordinary Christian people like you and me, speak about Jesus to one another. Speak about Jesus to our dying world. That God will, by the power of His Spirit, build His church and dwell with His people. If you are a parent here, uh, I don't know whether you've ever done a building project uh, with your children before. Has anyone done that before? Um, I'm not much of a builder, so the only building project I've ever done with my children is uh, to build IKEA furniture. And uh, I've got to say, it's a painstakingly slow progress. They are very bad at it. I mean, I could build a chest of drawers very quickly myself. But it's actually a real joy to have my children, you know, find different wooden pieces and, you know, have a go at twisting the Allen key and, you know, um, put things in their place. Um, and in the end, you know, it will get built, won't it? <laughs> Even if my children do a, a, a bad job, um, because there is somebody overseeing the project. The chest of drawers will get built. And that's what it's like with God's building projects, isn't it? I mean, 
God to do it all on his own. He doesn't need you and me to build his church. And yet he gives us this wonderful privilege of participating in this building project so that we can find the pieces. We can operate the Allen key. We can hammer things. We can make mistakes as we do it. All the while, knowing that God, by His Spirit, is going to be the one who completes the work. And so, uh, my brothers and sisters, I think the great encouragement of this passage is to say to you and me, uh, let's not down tools at the moment. Let's do the work. And let's not think that God's kingdom is built by our own power or our own might or our own cleverness, our own ability to answer every question that the unbelieving world has to uh, offer to us. But let's prayerfully depend uh, on the Spirit of God to complete this project. But let's keep on inviting friends to come and hear God's Spirit-inspired words at church, even through ordinary means. Let's keep on making opportunities to pass on the gospel message to our friends and family, for it is not by might, nor by our own power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who comforts your people, even during times of discouragement. And we thank you for your word in Zechariah and the encouragement not to despise the day of small things, but to continue the work of building your kingdom, because your spirit is at work and will bring all things to a glorious completion. And Father, we confess that often we find the work of building your kingdom by sharing the gospel and encouraging the saints to be difficult and slow and often discouraging because of the lack of obvious progress at times. Uh, we confess that uh, often we uh, just give up and leave it to others. But we ask that you would help us to rely not on our own power uh, or our own might or abilities, but that you would help us to continue to prayerfully trust in you and the work of your Spirit in our lives and in the lives of others. And we pray that as we continue to hear your word each week, uh, that you would strengthen us, that you would fortify us, and encourage us to keep persevering in building the kingdom uh, through proclaiming the word, and that this would be uh, not a burden to us, but our joy and privilege. For we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing our next song, so I'm going to invite our users to come up and uh, let's sing as we reflect on the things that we've just heard. <laughs>